What up, homies? Welcome to Women of Impact, and I'm your host, Lisa Billu. We have a treat for you today. Oh my God, I'm losing my mind. It's a credible conversation with the mother of holistic medicine, Dr. Gladys Magari, the 102-year-old woman that changed the freaking world of medicine. She's internationally known, and she's been honored for being a pioneer who's been in Afghanistan teaching women safe at birth practices. She's also been inducted into Arizona's Women Hall of Fame, and the impact of her work has reached hundreds of thousands of people all over the world but guys the knowledge that this woman brings of a hundred and two years experience of what it's like to live a happy life even haven't experienced all the pitfalls that love has to offer she still freaking gets up and shows up with absolute resilience and true freaking wisdom as you can see i'm so excited about this episode whether you're in the middle of running an errand or sitting back with a cup of tea, make sure, my homie, that you are following this podcast right on this app that you're listening to right now. It's just one click away where you can get updates with all the freaking new amazing Women of Impact episodes that get released. And that is honestly the best way that you can support this podcast and Women of Impact. So let's dive in right now with the 102-year-old Dr. Gladys McGarry. The story that you share in the book where you talk about your husband, Bill, of 46 years, writes you a letter letting you know that he wanted a divorce. How on earth do you move on in life and actually let go of the rage? I thought everything was fine. I was I was happy with what I was doing, what we were doing. We started so many different things and worked so hard to create the the world of holistic medicine and all of that. And all of a sudden I get this letter saying he just, he couldn't, that he needed to have a divorce. I just couldn't believe it. I I just, I thought God didn't understand anything that was going on in this dimension. And, and I was just there by myself, you know, trying to find which way to go. And, uh, I was driving down to my house, which was now empty. And I was there by myself in Casa Grande from Phoenix. And I was screaming and yelling at God. I mean, or whoever was around. <laughs> I just, you know, it didn't matter who was around because I was just making a loud noise. And all of a sudden, I pulled over to the side of the road. And I stopped the car. And I just took some deep breaths and sat there for a while. And then I said, okay, okay. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Of course, my name is Gladys. So I then went back to my house and changed my license plate to be glad not just to remind me, but to remind other people, too, that life was really good and to be glad. And that uh, started me looking for what I really needed to find, which was where I was going to go from there. And uh, it turned out just fine, but it was a, a pivotal moment in time when I really, really had to let make a noise, <laughs> I, I had to weep. 
Yeah, Gladys, that story shook me so much because for context, he sent you a letter, but he also sent that exact same letter to all six of your children and the people um, I believe were on the board of directors of your company. And you had no idea that he wanted a divorce. And when I think of 46 years, I kind of think in those moments, you're like, okay, this is going to be for the rest of my life. But to experience that for so many people would crush them to their core and they'd never be able to get back up. And you even said that, although my divorce felt like the end of my life, I am here to tell you 34 wonderful years later, it wasn't. And when I take that one story, that you screaming in the car, that to your point is such an incredible pivotal moment that ended up allowing you to still live. And so I'd love to go a little deeper on this story because you also said for you to be able to get over it, you used to live in the notion of, you know, what's it like for someone else? Live in their shoes. And so you put on his slippers for an entire day and walked around the house to imagine what it was like for him. First of all, please explain to me how you can have such beautiful grace to try and see it from his perspective. And then secondly, what did you learn by walking in his slippers? That they didn't fit my feet. <laughs> So walking in his slippers kind of made me uh, realize that we had walked this same path all these years and we had done the things that we had done and they were amazing. And at that point then, I began to recall what we had done, and I started to focus on what had been accomplished, what what we had, and not what I had lost. Because as long as I was feeling the pain of the loss, I absolutely couldn't move, you know, except just shuffle around in these old slippers. But when I began to think about the amazing life that we had had and the experiences we had had in the field of medicine and the people that that we had worked with, amazing people all around the world and the trips that we, you know, we had climbed the pyramid together and uh, been to Cambodia together and all these things. There was just too much good stuff for me to keep telling myself that it was all bad. I mean, I just had to start being glad that I had all this time. It wasn't a misused time. It was a well-used time that I could reclaim what we had done. And and it worked. That's just amazing. Um, in those moments how did the pain though not not overtake the joy because i in your book you really do talk about the beauty of a choice and so in that moment was it that you literally just chose joy over the pain i began looking for joy mm. i stopped looking for pain i began looking for joy and it was a difference i mean 
I was still healthy. I was strong. I, I had patience. I had work to do. And I could focus on that, not what I was losing. Wow, that's so beautiful. That is honestly one of, it's, it's these moments, Gladys, that I think can either break us or really point us in a direction that allows us to be who we truly are. And your work is just incredible. The amount of people that you have helped in your 102 years is just insane. And so thinking about how, what life would have been like if you hadn't thought like that? What life would have been like if you hadn't acted like that? And you wouldn't have then gone on to help so many people if you got stuck in that moment of heartbreak, which so many of us do. And as I was hearing your story and reading your story, um, there's also one other moment where he ended up marrying somebody else. And I believe that you said somebody who was more submissive. How do you process that and not live with any regret of how you showed up in that marriage? Here's what happened. I started thinking about who I was. I'd always been thinking about that, but then I identified within myself, Dr. Gladys and Gladys. And now Dr. Gladys is the one that kind of keeps an eye on where we're supposed to be going. And Gladys does the work that has to be done on this level. Mm -hmm. And every so often, Dr. Gladys is doing something that she is really uh, likes to be doing in something. And Dr. Gladys will come either with a dream or something is said or something like that. Be glad happens. <laughs> and, uh, and I shake my head and say, oh, well, all right, all right, all right. I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> and then try to redirect because I, I really um, had to find the reality that was my voice when I said it, it was saying what I wanted to say. And uh, and so I didn't need anybody else to validate it. And that was a big aha, because it was coming from deep inside me. Had you, uh, in the past, um, looked for validation in external sources? Oh, absolutely. I See, when... When I started school and became the class dummy for two years, I really, really thought that I, and I couldn't, I couldn't read or write. I mean, it was, I was dyslexic and that was it. And so it was, I was the class dummy, but that was a deep scar in my uh, psyche. So that for years, up, up until I was 93, I really, uh, I would write something and I'd ask Bill to look over it or I'd ask uh, somebody else to look or, or I would say something from the pulpit and I would re refer it to some. In other words, I was saying things and then constantly, actually, and I didn't know I was doing this, I was saying things and then denying them by referring to somebody else having been said. In other words, I was not giving it my voice. Yeah. And um, so when I was 93, I had a dream. And I well, all through my life, I've listened to my dreams. So this wasn't a new thing. 
But I I woke up and uh, it was a Sunday morning and I knew it was a Sunday morning. <clears throat> but I was singing and laughing as I woke up and the dream was still kind of going on. And I saw myself as nine-year-old Gladys in the jungles of Rorthenia coming out of the, our tent and just pulling the fl tent flap back to make sure my younger brother wasn't out there because I knew what I was wanting to do and he would tattle on me if I did it and I'd be in trouble. Well, he wasn't there so I could do it. So I ran as fast as I could up the tree, mango tree, clear up to the top. And I'm sitting up there and I'm singing. I'm singing any old song that I wanted to sing, Caterpillar song or anything, because in our life, we were not allowed to sing anything but hymns or budgeons on Sunday mornings. And I thought that was a stupid rule. And I wasn't, you know, I wanted to do what I wanted to do. So I was singing away. And all of a sudden, I look over my shoulder, and Jesus is up in the tree with me. And I and he's laughing. He's really laughing. And I say to him, oh, um, Jesus loves the little children, right? And he laughs, and he says, yes. So I go back to my singing. And then I get to thinking, did he really say that, you know? And I look back at him and I say, I'm still a little children, right? And he laughs harder and he says, yes. So I go back to my singing and that's when I woke up. And when I woke up, I realized that if Jesus could say it, my voice is okay, I'm all right, boy, I'm really okay. <laughs> and I began to claim my voice and I stopped doing the, uh, stuff that I'd been doing prior to this, which was devaluing. And in the process of devaluing my voice, I was devaluing who I was because that really, um, my voice was important. And reclaiming that was huge. I'm going to be utterly honest. There is little more damaging to your confidence than feeling weak and helpless and just struggling to get the care that you actually need from your doctor. And trust me, guys, I unfortunately speak from experience because when I was struggling with crippling, crippling gut issues about nine years ago now, it took me years, years to find a doctor that not only could I connect with, but a doctor that actually would listen, wouldn't gaslight me and actually take my words and my experience as truth so that they could actually eventually help me heal and not just to give me another freaking pill and then push me out the door. But now, my homie, you don't have to struggle to find the right doctor for you anymore. And that's thanks to ZocDoc. ZocDoc is an absolutely free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and then instantly book appointments with them online. And with ZocDoc, you can actually filter by insurance, location and specialities to find the perfect fit for you, not for your friend, not for anyone else, but for you. Plus, on top of that, you can actually go and read verified reviews from real patients to find the doc that you can actually trust. And typically, wait times for booking an appointment are days, 
not weeks. Because let's face it, when you're sick, you need to see someone right now. So my homie, do not, I repeat, do not neglect your health. Instead, go over to ZocDoc.com slash Lisa and download the ZocDoc app for absolutely free. Then find and book a top rated doctor today. That's ZocDoc, Z-O-C, D-O-C, dot com slash Lisa. ZocDoc.com slash Lisa. Oh my God. I love that story so much, Gladys. And especially, it's kind of crazy to think that you learned that at, you know, 93 years old, because so many of us, well, hopefully, I really very much plan to live into my hundreds. Um, but a lot of people don't actually get to that age. And so the, the fact that you were able to still have an aha moment and realize that validation and the importance of your own vice is so incredible and powerful. Um, how were you able to then, like if someone was listening right now and they don't feel like they're valid or they don't feel like they have a voice, how would they start to actually believe it based on your story and your experience? They don't have to wait hopefully until 93 to experience it. Well, Number one, do pay attention to your dreams. Number two, look back on what you have done, what you have said. If you're, say, 56, and for 56 years, you've been um, affirming certain things or looking at life in a certain way, look at it again, take take another look at it, And see if you really feel gratitude about what it is that you're doing. It's like um, my oldest daughter who died of breast cancer when she was 58. Um, She and I had done a lecture together and somebody came up afterwards and was asking me for what my secret was for life. And I was trying to come up with something cute and or smart or something. And all of a sudden I get the elbow from my daughter. <laughs> she says, Oh mom, you do so know. You dwell it in gratitude. And I said, Oh yeah, sure. And and I reclaimed that at that point. And it's it has been a real blessing. I think if we could we just begin to look at our lives and see the things that are there that are so awesome. It allows us to reconnect with life and and um, be part of some living process because life has to move and it has it it's all based on love. I mean uh, the reality of love is that love is a great healer it's a great healer for everything (laughs) i had a a, a good friend who he uh, as he got older he be he began moved into dementia and was having a hard time and we had him in a lovely home and uh, you know taking care of him that way and so this one day I brought him a little plant and I put it in his window and I said, James, now this little plant, you need to take care of it. You need to take care of it because it needs water. 
and you need to take care of it. So he, uh, he, uh, I didn't didn't know how much he understood and how much he didn't. But when I came back uh, a week or two later, he, he greeted me and he said, "Look, look at this box. There's magic here." He said, "This is magic," and he went up to the air conditioning box on his wall and he says if i push this button it gets hot in this room and my plant doesn't like it but if i push this button it gets cool in this room and my plant likes it all of a sudden he had something to live for and he lived about five more years but it was a a time where I could really do something that allowed him to feel the connection with that plant. And, you know, we're given opportunities like that if we're looking for them. Because, you know, people like, we have people like, James in our lives who have have something really that has gotten them stuck or there is actually a, a process that has diminished their cognition but but they're still alive and if we, if they can find something if we can help them find something um that allows them to still function, uh, it helps. It helps us. It helps them. That's such a beautiful story. I love that so much. Um, and I actually would love to then go to um, your other secret, which is secret number three, love is the most powerful medicine. Now, Dr. Gladys, when I grabbed your book, I didn't know what to expect. But I was like, I'm very open. Anybody who has lived an incredibly wise life like yourself, I'm going to listen. But I definitely expected your book to be about nutrition and sleep and getting air. And the fact that this was such a strong one, that love is the most powerful medicine, um, really hit me very hard. And you talk in the book about the difference between love and fear, and that fear is the blocker to love. So can you talk to me a little about that and how many of us move towards fear, but instead how do we move move towards love, especially if you've been burned in the past by love, especially if you've been betrayed in the past by love? How do you make sure that you keep moving towards it and don't move away from it? Well, you can find the light in the darkness if you're looking for it. But if you're not looking for it, you will never see it. Um, I kind of see my life, I have a a flashlight on as I'm walking down my path, okay? And it's dark, and I can't see any farther than where my flashlight goes. So I take one step at a time, and I can continue to walk down that path. But as I'm walking down that path, if I see a little glimmer of light over to the side, and then shine my light, my flashlight, onto that little glimmer, it'll light up the whole light for that person. 
it's it's that kind of a way of walking down a dark path because you're not just looking for what step you can take forward but you're looking for the rest of the path too and there's people and things and so on out there that you might see if you were looking for them and when you do see them and they're they are maybe just a little flicker and you put your light on it it may light up the whole world for that person that's so beautiful and powerful but how do you when you have been stung or if you've had the heartbreak sometimes the light you know they they say you know look for the light at the end of the tunnel some people are so fearful that the light at the end of the tunnel is actually an oncoming train and i heard that analogy once and i was like wow that's really interesting on how two different people can see light in different ways but in your book you talk so beautifully about making sure that you always let the love in right so the love being the light that you're always letting that in if you're fearful that the light is an oncoming train how do you change your perspective so that you actually keep moving towards it and you're allowing the love in because i don't know about you Gladys but i've met a lot of people who just have stopped looking they've just stopped looking for love they've stopped trying because they've been hurt because they've been scarred by maybe the oncoming train they just stop and if i take i take your words for as wisdom very seriously dr gladys and so when i take it very seriously and i understand the importance of love how can we open someone's heart to um that may be listening right now to let that love back in because if you focus on the fear and the pain you you're stuck you can't move forward it's like if you have a cut on your arm and you keep picking at the scab it's never going to heal but if you treat it and let it go and don't go on about your life and sometime later you come back and you look at your arm and you see a scar and you say oh hello i know who you are you know you remember the scar but you don't remember the pain because that's not what your life has been all about it it it's again a choice it's what you choose um i i finally you know th- this divorce thing was so painful for me but i finally realized that i had a choice for whether i was going to dwell on what we had lost or what i we had done when we were working together when we created the american holistic medical association the academy for parapsychology and medicine and da 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 all the stuff we had done together and i thought wow you know this is great we we were we really did good stuff so i finally decided that i don't regret one minute that i spent with bill mcgarry and then he took a vacation that's his business it's not mine anymore i don't need to fuss with that he could do what he and well he he did he died about uh 10 years ago now and um it's it's a matter of reclaiming the the essence of life i mean the very joy that is part of 
waking up in the morning and taking a deep breath and say, huh, another new day. You know, it's it and it can happen. Just try it. You know, if if you're if you feel like you're stuck and everything is so bad, you could wake up in the morning and say, Oh, mumble, mumble. Or you could wake up and look for the light or something what's happening and and take a deep breath and see if there isn't something there has to be something in your environment that's alive and would be i've got this stupid woodpecker that wakes me up in the mornings (laughs) and i've got a conversation going with him because he, he pecks on my roof and i have to say you go away and he Picks on my roof again, and we have a conversation. But it's that kind of things, they happen, you know? Yeah, I love that so much. And I also want to go to your next seat, or your secret number four, which is you are never truly alone. And it really hit me where you say loneliness is as bad as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And I have another quote of yours that just was so impactful on me. You said, Marriage in general is associated with decreased risk of vascular disease. Troubled marriages are associated with increased risk. The quality of our relationships at age 50 is the greatest predictor of our health and well-being at age 80. And so when I think about loneliness and even loneliness within a marriage, because if you have a bad marriage, to your point is that it can actually increase your likelihood of cardiovascular disease. Talk to me about how we don't allow ourselves to stay alone, to stay lonely, especially in today's society where I think so many people are retreating. Well, when you understand that there are other people that are alone, then this, for me, this visual of having a flashlight and being able to uh, see a glimmer of light around you is for me is a good visual, you know, mm. because it it doesn't expect big things. They can happen. You know, you can hear a song and all of a sudden, oh yes. Or you could look at the face of a baby and that baby smiles at you and all of a sudden life comes in. Or or it may be that you have somebody in your life who is, you know, you don't particularly like, uh, and you really can't get yourself to say that you love them, but uh, is there something about them that, that you could like? It's like this person that I know who... Uh, is difficult person. Our personalities don't really go together. And but he's a great gardener. I mean, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. It's just amazing. But I and I have to admit that because he really is a great gardener, and he's got got a really nice head of hair. <laughs> His old age. So, but you know, those are things that I, 
can actually accept and say to myself, all right, the others are difficult, but here's something that, that is really nice about, about this certain person. So it's, it's, it's what we're looking for, you know? I think we as human beings are looking for our true humanity. What A.T. was looking for when he was reaching for home. I think we within our inner being have uh, the juice, the, the physician within, call it what you may. But that aspect of ourselves and the person that is in this body, that is working in this body, has access to that actual juice that's there if they recognize it and if they begin to work with it. And I see that in the eyes and faces of people as I meet them all the time. And I I can't, I could not in my wildest imagination ever imagine being able to talk to you like we're doing right now. I mean, think about how the world has been brought together so that we can share the things that we think are important in this life. We can share anything else we want to, but but the things that are really what you're saying, what I'm trying to say, what, what we're working together to build, I think is a village for living medicine, which can be any place in this world where we are looking for life and love as the true healers, and that's our focus in the, wow. in the that we do. That's so beautiful. <clears throat> um, in everything you were just saying, where does self-love fit in? Where does self-care fit in? Because I think that, again, in today's society, we are very much, and, and not even today's society, in reading your story, you're such a giver. You get, you've given your entire life. And so where does that self-love come in? Because as we're talking about giving love to others, being there for others, you know, reciprocating and us going back and forth in order to help people, where does the self-love come in and how important do you feel that that is when it comes to being able to show up for other people? You have to have self-love in order to be able to love other people. Mm -hmm. If you haven't even juiced your own self, how are you having the juice enough to share with other people? It's, you know, you have to, uh, it's, it's like with a pregnancy. You, the mother has to eat and sleep and do the things so the baby can live. But as long as we have within us that essence of who we really are, and we don't even uh, accept the responsibility of taking care of it and loving it like we would with a the pregnancy, then, uh, you know, life is so sad. But if we actually realize that within us, there's something pretty neat going on. And and it, it feels good to love that aspect. I call it going down memory lane uh, in, at night when you can't sleep instead of worrying about not sleeping, in which case you won't sleep. 
if you can just say, oh, I remember when. And you go down that lane, nobody else can have that memory the way you do, and no one can take it away from you. No one can take those memories away from you. So as you reclaim them, when you're trying to go to sleep or whatever, or when things are really nasty, if you can reclaim some aspect of your whole life at that time that is that allows you to feel I can keep on breathing, you know? And yes, that you can affirm, as you affirm yourself, you affirm life and you affirm love and your and your life changes. You just blew my mind with that. I've never thought about thinking about it as like a pregnancy and how that leads to affirming yourself. Wow, that was so powerful. So I'm definitely going to use that analogy from now on. I actually don't have children, but I'm definitely going to use that analogy. I totally understand um, how fueling yourself would then allow you to fuel others and allow you to find the love. So talk to me about um, your, your five L's. I found this absolutely fascinating again it's so um it's almost counterintuitive of how i normally think and so if you don't mind breaking that down it, it's just changed my life yeah it it it, it helped me to to sort of get some structure in my thinking life and love i have to go together they life by itself is like a seed in the pyramid. It has a shell around it and it has all the energy of the universe within it, but it can't do anything until love in the way of light and water and so on activates it, cracks the shell, and then life manifests and it can do it. But life and love have they have to be together. In fact, the two words are exactly the same, except mm. for a L and an O, a phallic symbol and an O. <laughs> I've never thought of that. Oh my God, it's, that's amazing. <laughs> isn't that true? Okay. So, uh, life and love are, uh, they, they are a you unit, know, they go together. The next one is laughter. Laughter without love is mean, it's cruel, it hurts. People are damaged. Families are torn apart by mean things that are said or done or whatever. But laughter with love is joy and happiness. It's what makes you safe, you know. Labor without love is drudgery. Oh, man, uh, too many diapers. I have to go to work. This is too hard. I'm, it's too dark. It's too, I'm too scared. All of those things are drudgery. You drag yourself through it. But if you can begin to look at it, not as drudgery, but as the very thing that lets you live in bliss, it's the the joy of of a painter that's painting. It's the 
the singer that's singing. It's why you're doing what you're doing. It's why I'm doing what it's what it's very juice within us. And that's is bliss. And the fifth one is listening. Listening without love is empty sound. I have so many patients who have gone to see another doctor and come back and said to me, I told them everything and he didn't listen at all. You know, it's such an injured soul that comes back. But listening with love is understanding. So for, for me, these five L's really give me a um, platform on which I can stand and live my life as I choose to live it with this as my foundation. That's so powerful. My God, I love that so much. And you share a story in your book that I literally laughed out loud, Gladys. And I've already told my husband this story. I'm telling everybody that I see this story about how that moment of you're at the grocery store and I believe you're like 93 years old. (laughs) And please share that story. It is so beautiful because the end result of how you got to the laughter is just amazing. And it really highlights the importance of exactly what you're saying. Uh, yeah, uh, I had just come back from my 99th birthday party. Okay, so I'm feeling pretty good. And I go to the grocery store to pick up some groceries. And I'm, they're in the basket, and I'm moving them from the basket to my car. And an older, elder man comes walking by, and he says to me, Oh, may I help you? And I said, No, no, I can do it myself. And he says, well, I'm 86, and I said, well, I'm 99, and I march off, and I get into my car with the groceries, and I sit down, and I said to myself, you nasty old woman, he was just being nice. Why don't you go back and apologize? And, you know, so I'm (laughs) struggling with myself, and suddenly I realized that is so funny. Two kindergarten kids in the sign box <laughs> trying to outdo the other one by saying, I'm older than you are. <laughs> and I started laughing and I sat there and I just laughed. It's a it's a huge comedy thing, you know. <laughs> oh, I love that story. So and I I it made me laugh out loud. And so as we were going through, you know, as you were going through the five L's and you talk about laughter. A, I'd never thought about laughter without love as being cruel. That is so strong. But the importance of laughter. And so anyone listening, if they're feeling down, if they're feeling hurt, if they don't know how to switch things around, that little beautiful story of how, you know, and you even said it in the book, I think it was like, you know, I was just picturing like, oh, from the outside, here there's these two really old people arguing about who's actually stronger to lift the bags to put in the car. And then that thought then made you laugh out loud, which then dissipated the annoyance or the frustration that maybe you got hit with um, initially. And so many of us, I think, stay in that moment of of being offended or being upset or being, you know, um, defensive and being able to say, hang on a minute, this doesn't suit me. How can I flip it? Let me see the humor in this. 
And then the fact that you're able to see the humor and then, you know, you, the story ends with you laughing in your car by yourself hysterically. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, my mother taught me that when I was this dyslexic kid and all. But um, so I was uh, when I got into third step grade, the teacher saw something in me that the, the other one hadn't. So she appointed me class governor because I could do some things that the other kids didn't want to do or something like that. Anyway, we had a play that um, our class was to, to put on for the whole student body. And since I was bigger than the other kids because I'd been uh, around one year longer, um, I was the frog jumped over the pond. So I was the frog. And my mother made me a, a little green frog suit and all of that. And I come watching, walking up onto the stage with great confidence because I could jump over that pond really well. And so I come walking out, but I see my two older brothers in the fr front row of the audience. And it just threw me off my step enough that instead of jumping over the pond, I landed in it. And I'm standing in the pond, and my suit is fading, and I'm crying, and I can't move, and I'm just totally humiliated, and life is terrible, and all of that. And the audience is cracking up. They're laughing and laughing and just doubling up. The more they laughed, the louder it got. So finally, the teacher comes and leads me off the stage and that was my deep humiliation the end of ever everything so we get home and we're at the ta dinner table and my brothers are telling my mother how humorous this was how funny it was and how they were and they were just laughing and laughing I'm giving them the dead eye and they're not paying any attention to me but I, they're just really going on and finally, my mother says, all right, boys, now, you've had your fun. But what can we do as a family to help Gladys so that this never happens? If it ever happens again, she has, she can turn into something that, that the, the people will laugh with her and not at her. And throughout my life, that has been something that I was able to do from that point on. Because, you know, uh, with this whole aspect of dyslexia, there's also a certain amount of imbalance. There, I can't tell you how many times I've tripped when I'm going up to the podium and all that. But I've always been able to say something like, oh, I'm such a drama queen. And I immediately have the audience in my hand and I could start it is that I'm talking about so that my mother's um, wisdom and ability to take throughout her life this was her she could take anything that happened almost and with just a little twist make something humorous out of it a week before she died, we were sitting out on our porch and I was, my dad and I were looking at the garden 
And she says, look at that. This is my dad. Look at that petunia bush. It's got at least 400 blossoms on it. And my dad says, oh, Beth, it doesn't have more than 40. She says, what's another zero? <laughs> you know, I mean, that kind of humor that imbued my very essence. And so I was able to carry that on as life has gone on. It's it's how we juice each other up, you know. Uh, and my mother, when she was, she fell and broke her hip, broke her knee and her ribs. And my dad and I were moving her onto the x-ray table. And she looks up and sees the pain in our faces. And she says, the old gray bear, she ain't what she used to be, you know. And the next day she died. But it was having a, a role model like that it has been grace beyond imagining, you know. That's such a beautiful story. Yeah. And, you know, in your book, you call it, you know, humiliation through humor. And I actually didn't realize that that's exactly what I did. And you even said as you walked up to the podium and you trip, the first time I ever did public speaking, I was so scared. And part of what I was scared about is being humiliated. And so yeah. what I realized is, how do I get past it? Because getting on stage becomes a part of me that I get to impact people. Impacting people is my North Star. It is my mission. It is my purpose. It is my juice, as you call it in your book. And so I realized I need to live in my juice. I need to keep squeezing the juice. But if I'm scared to go on stage because of humiliation, it is now preventing me from squeezing the juice. So I realized if I, what I was afraid of was being humiliated. Okay, how do I counteract that? The idea was I just laughed at myself. And so that was the, the thing that I just had in my head. Lisa, if you mess up, just laugh. Because then at least all the audience will laugh with you, not at you. And it, like, it never dawned on me until you just said that. And I was like, oh my God, that is exactly the aha moment that I had. I couldn't articulate it before. Um, and I actually did mess up the very first time. And I ended up saying that, um, my father gave birth to my grandmother instead of obviously the other way around. And it's my first public speaking gig. And I just, I just laughed. And I was like, well, that would be weird. And everybody laughed and I laughed. And then I just was able to move on. And that story now hits me very beautifully. And I can say it with, um, with humor, not with yeah. humiliation. Yeah. Yeah. And what a difference. Yeah. Such a difference. Uh, Dr. Gladys, I, I literally could talk to you for so long. We've just touched on a couple of your secrets of how to bring happiness and love and light to somebody's life. Um, where can people find you and your just incredible book that you've written? com and the Foundation for Living Medicine. Either one. Love you.